that night in the garden, he came down my dressing room and said, kid, this ain't your night. We're going for the price on Wilson. You remember that? This ain't your night. My night, I could have taken Wilson apart. So what happens? He gets the title shot outdoors in a ballpark, and what do I get? A one-way ticket to Palookaville. You was my brother, Charlie. You should have looked out for me a little bit. You should have taken care of me just a little bit so I wouldn't have to take them dives for the short-end money. Well, I had some bets down for you. You saw some money. You don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody instead of a bum, which is what I am. Let's face it. So we are in the book of Jude, and I thought it would probably be a great idea, if you haven't done so already, to just read through it. So uh, if you would, open up your Bibles. There's Bibles underneath the chairs there in front of you uh, to the book of Jude. If you're not familiar with where that is, it is in the very, very back of your Bible, right before the book of Revelation. So if you start reading about uh, dragons and crowns and bowls of wrath and stuff like that. Turn a little bit to your left, and you'll hit Jude. And we're going to start in verse 17 this week. Last week, Pastor Scott went through the first part of Jude up to verse 16. This week, we're going to finish off. So let's start in verse 17 and read together. Jude is writing, and he says this, But you, beloved, must remember the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. For they said to you, In the last time, there will be scoffers indulging their own ungodly lusts. It is these worldly people, devoid of the Spirit, who are causing divisions. But you, beloved, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Look forward to the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on some who are wavering. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. And have mercy on still others with fear, hating even the tunic defiled by their bodies. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to make you stand without blemish in the presence of his glory with rejoicing. To the one, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. So we are in the book of Jude, and and our message series is called Contender, or Contend for the Faith. Um, Last week, Pastor Scott opened us up with the first part of the book of Jude, and and if we were to kind of sum that up uh, for our purposes today, I'd like to think of last week's message as knowing your opponent, knowing what you're up against. If you think about yourself being in in a boxing match, it's probably a good idea to know who your opponent is. And, you know, if that opponent's got a mean right cross or a left hook or what that opponent has. And so, first part was know your opponent. This week, we're looking at the last part of Jude. And I think this week, we're going to look at more about knowing ourselves and knowing what's going on inside of us and how we are walking with God. 
Jude, it's, it's an amazing little book. Scott asked you last week how many of you have actually read Jude, and uh, not many of us had before. Uh, this is a really wonderful one-chapter book. It's got 25 verses, 613 words. So if you're talking about boxing, this would be like the featherweight of the champions, right? So really small book, but man, this book packs quite a punch. And it really is deep, and it's got a lot going on. We went through the first 16 verses last week, and Pastor Scott talked to us about all the very in-depth knowledge and background that you need in order to understand what really is going on here in Jude. Or you can just, as Scott said, skip over the parts you don't know, and you'll still get a pretty good idea of what's going on uh, here in Jude. Uh, Jude is, uh, as he's writing this, he uses these beautiful illustrations. He uses eight illustrations or quotations from the Old Testament. So we need to know our stuff as we're getting into this book. We need to know the Old Testament. And uh, remember that Jude is, he identifies himself in the first couple of verses as the brother of James. Uh, and James and Jude are both the half-brothers of Jesus. Now, as Jude is writing this, he's coming up against something in the church. This is, these are the, the early years of the church within the first century. And he intends to write about a completely different subject. But then he realizes, no, I, I can't write about that. I need to write to you to contend for the faith. And that's, that's really what's driving us. It's verse 3 in Jude. Jude writes and says this. He says, contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. Now, as we're going through this, using that whole boxing analogy, we are... We want to think about combinations. We're, we're going to do a, a three-part combination, you know, one, two, three. And it's actually all throughout the book of Jude, there's these little three-part combinations. Um, Pastor Scott, last week, if you remember it, mentioned that there's, there was one three-part section in there, and there was a sentence that we actually could understand. And there was another three-part section that was kind of weird, and then there was a one or two verses that we could understand kind of a thing. And if you outline this chapter, and as you read it, and you really get into it, you realize that this has some pretty interesting form to it. And there's three parts. So even in this verse that's driving us, there's, there's three parts to it. Jude 3, there's the, the once for all. And I believe what he's telling us, what Jude is telling us is in this once for all is he's, he's railing against this heresy or wrong teaching that is entering the church. It's this... It, and it's causing something called an apostasy or a falling away. Um, and so Jude is saying you need to contend for the faith that was once for all. That there is this faith, that there is this teaching of the apostles that has been taught ever since Jesus Christ. And it is that one faith that once for all needs to be carried on and held and uh, held on to. The second thing that Jude tells us in this first verse here is that it's entrusted to the saints. And so... This is really a challenge for those that are calling themselves Christ followers, for those that are seeking after God, that are maybe asking questions about this whole Jesus thing, that maybe have made that commitment in their life to make Jesus their Lord. This message is for you. This message is of truth. This message that Jude is laying out, that he's saying is entrusted to you, is your responsibility to carry throughout time and to subsequent generations. 
And then finally, he says to contend for the faith. That word contend in the original language means you're entering the game. You get into the ring. Okay? It's your responsibility to keep this truth, and so you need to get into the ring. You need to join the fight. And a lot of times, unfortunately, when we hear that as Christians, we we, want to take this thing and we want to roll it up and we want to use it as a club on people. And that's not what Jude is saying. He's talking about getting into the fight and contending for the faith in a way that keeps the truth, but not in a way that offends and hurts other people. Okay, so some, some of uh, the, the Christian faith is offensive no matter how you look at it. Jesus was very offensive. But uh, we, we want to do as little damage as possible to people's spirit as we are talking about uh, what God is telling us here in his word. So today, as we uh, are getting into this last part of Jude, I want to look at some other groups of threes, some, some three-part combinations that are being thrown at us today. So let's pick it up in Jude, verse 17. Now, I'm going to be reading from a different translation today, and the translation that I will be reading from is going to be up on the screens. If you're following along in the Bibles that are under your chairs, it's going to be slightly different, and that's okay. You can see how the, the translator translates the words just slightly differently. I'm using the New King James for these verses, 17 through 23. I like the way the New King James translates it a little bit better. I think, it's, I think it comes across a little bit clearer. Um, but uh, the NRSV that you have in your, in your chairs will, will translate it well also. But just wanted to give you that, just in case you're wondering why the words are different up on the screen. So Jude, verse 17, Jude says this, But you, beloved, what a wonderful way to start this. See, up till now he's been talking about people and, that are falling away, and these are things and examples that, uh, that you want to steer away from. You don't want to be like but then he starts in verse 17, but you, beloved, the word in the, in the original language is, is, it calls you agape, God's beloved ones. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the spirits, or having the spirit. So the first thing that he points out is, look, you've been warned ever since the beginning. Even back in Jesus' teaching, you can remember Jesus talking about there's, there's going to be wolves in sheep's clothing that try to come into the fold, right? That ever since the apostles started teaching after Jesus was re- resurrected from the dead and, and ascended into heaven, there's been this potential for false teachers to come into the church. And so you've been duly warned, kind of, is what what Jude is saying. And I think he's transitioning slowly from from this idea of focusing on the the other people on the outside and the things that have happened onto you now. And okay, we know that stuff, and you've been duly warned, and so let's now look at you. He says there's two kinds of people. There's the sensual persons, and that's why, one of the reasons why I chose the, the New King James is because he calls it sensual persons. Um, in the original language, it's the word suke. We actually get our word psychic from it. it it's the, the suke is, is kind of like, it's the, the inner animalistic drive. It, it, it can mean life, it can mean breath, it can mean, it's just kind of like the, the base of who you are not controlled by any kind of emotion or spirit or anything like that. It's just, it's just animals have suke. It's the thing that, that drives them. 
And so it's, it's kind of the, the base of what's going on. It's the, that's, that's suke, okay? And then he says, those are the sensual persons. And then he says, don't be like them. You want to walk according to the spirit or the pneuma. Pneuma just means breath, the spirit. And so in one corner, we have the suke, the animalistic drive. And in the other corner, we have the pneuma, the spirit. And this is who, I think, in this, this round, this, this match, are kind of duking it out in your own life. You are, uh, this would have been a foreign concept to the Hebrew of the time, but the, the Greeks of the time started to get into this new philosophy that w- everything is not all one together, but there's, this, there's a spiritual part, and then there's the, the earthly part or the flesh part. And the, so there's different parts of your being. And in fact, that, those ideas are driving some of this false teaching that's coming in. Uh, Pastor Scott spoke of it last week, this antinomianism or, or, or in place of the law or against the law. That's what antinomian me- means. Uh, the, against the moral law is, is this idea the Gnostics really adopted this, that yes, you have these parts, you're kind of animalistic drive, and then your spirit. And since you have these two parts in your being, whatever you do in the animalistic side, because that's the bad part, doesn't matter. So you can go out, you, you can get drunk, you can go have sex with whoever you want, you can rob, steal, you can beat people up, murder, whatever, um, but because that's done in the flesh, and that's separate than the spirit. And so... As long as your spirit is good and your spirit is connected with God, well, then everything's fine. Okay, and that's a, that's a heresy. That's what Jude is railing against in this book. And so he goes on in Jude, verse 20. And he says again, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Okay, so some of that might be a little bit confusing, so let's get into that and dig it up and uh, really... Uh, mind what, what God has for us in his word here. So three parts. The first thing that I think is really important is, is that the verse 21, where Jude tells us to keep yourselves in the love of God. So what does that mean? What does it mean to keep yourself in the love of God? How do we do that? And is it, is it possible to remove yourself from the love of God? Of God. You see, think of it this way. God continuously pours out his love. He is a good God. He's a giving God. He wants to shower his grace and his love and his peace and his blessing on you. And that is a continuous waterfall. As I think of it, I think of a, a trip that uh, my wife and I took back on our, our second anniversary. One of the blessings of, of uh, my marriage is instead of necessarily giving us things. We give each other memories on our anniversary. And so our second anniversary, we went to uh, Hawaii, and we were on uh, Maui, I believe. Wasn't it Maui? 
that uh, we were on with the seven sacred pools and stuff like that. I think that's on Maui. We've been to oh so many of the Hawaiian Islands. I can't remember which one it was. Um, it was on Maui. And you drive down this, this winding road, switchbacks all over the place. I get car sick wicked bad. And I was even driving and I got car sick, you know, driving on, on these switchbacks that go through Hawaii. And we arrive at this, this park and so you, you have to take this long drive, and you finally get to the park. It's at the remotest part of the island. It's just before, if you've ever been to Maui, there's this part where, you know, they tell you you can't take your rental cars there because it'll destroy the suspension in the car. So it's just before you get there, and uh, you get out of the car. You walk past the seven sacred pools as you're going up to um, uh, this, this wonderful place and you go through the seven sacred pools and then you get to this bamboo forest. I've never experienced anything like this. There's this enormous forest full of bamboo, 30 feet high, just everywhere. Incredible. And you walk through the bamboo forest on this path and eventually you get to out of the bamboo forest and you start walking up and you see this amazingly beautiful waterfall. This 300 foot high waterfall. And then you get to walk over to the waterfall and, and if you want to, get into the pool and, and just let the waterfall rain down on you, which is very cold, by the way. But it was wonderful there to, to stand there and allow the water to just come down on top of you. And I think that is what God's blessing is like. It's like standing under a 300-foot waterfall. God just wants to pour out His blessing on you. He is abundant in His grace, just giving to you and it's always on. It doesn't shut off. It doesn't dry up. And some of you might be saying to yourself, but wait a minute, I, I'm really not experiencing blessing in my life right now. I, I'm going through some tough times. Or maybe it's just, you know, I just feel really dry. You know, I'm not getting anything out of church. I'm not getting anything out of my spiritual walk. Well, I like to suggest that possibly one of the things that might be going on in your life is that that waterfall is still there, but you have walked away from it in some way in your life. Is that, is, you might be, is that possible? Can we walk away from God's blessing? I would like to suggest yes, and I'd like to think that there's some examples that Pastor Scott mentioned last week where he shows three different groups of people that have walked away from God's blessing. First person or first example are those that were delivered he talks about the people of Israel that went into the wilderness. God has delivered them out of slavery and bondage in Egypt. And they went in and they were about to go into the promised land. And they send 12 spies to go spy out the land. And those spies come back and 10 of them, well all of them say, look at this. They bring back a bunch of grapes and they have grapes the size of bowling balls. They're so big. And they say, look at the fruit of this land that God wants to give us. And two of them say, yeah, let's go. Let's go in and get it. Joshua and Caleb. And ten others say, whoa, hold on. There are these things called Anakin in the land. They're giants. And they look at us like we're grasshoppers. They're going to squish us like bugs. 
And Joshua and Caleb said, yeah, 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 but God looks at them like they're grasshoppers, and God can squish them like bugs. But the people say, no, we're afraid. We don't want to go in. And so God says, okay, fine, you don't want to go in, you're not going in, and all of you are going to die. Your kids are going to go in, but you all that are saying we don't want to go in right now, you're not going to. So there were those that were delivered that moved away from God's outpouring of his blessing. The second group are those that were worshipers. Those were the angels of heaven that Jude alludes to in his early writings in this, in this book. Those, the angels were there to worship God. And instead of worshiping God, they chose to come down and have sexual relations with human women. And then there were these crazy things that were born, these giants that were in the land. These Nephilim, if you want to write that down and check it out. And so they traded worshiping God for carnal lust. And so they removed themselves from the outpouring of God. And the final group that Jude refers to is those who were blessed. And I'm forgetting who they, who they were. Who are they? Let's look at that. Uh, just go on and talk amongst yourselves while I'm looking this up. Um, <laughs> uh, the angels, uh, the lasting chains, the great days, similar. Sodom and Gomorrah. There we go. You don't often think of Sodom and Gomorrah as being blessed. But the fact of the matter is, is if you remember back before Sodom and Gomorrah was all, were, were all wiped out by the fire and brimstone of God, there were these two characters. There was Lot and Abram, right? Lot and Abram. They were getting too big. They were growing too large. They couldn't, you know, this town ain't big enough for the two of us, you know, they were saying to each other. And Lot and Abram then had to decide which one is going to go where. And so Abram says to his cousin Lot, or his nephew, depending on how you read that, he says, where do you want to go? Wherever you choose to go, we'll go the other place. So you choose where you want to go. And so Lot says, I'm going to Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? Not because of all the stuff that was going on there, but because it was a beautiful, beautiful, fertile place. If you were an agrarian culture, that was the place you wanted to be, was Sodom and Gomorrah. And so Lot decides to go there. So Sodom and Gomorrah was at one time blessed, but then God wiped it out. So these three groups were all at one time receiving the blessing and the outpouring of God, but all three removed themselves from God's blessing because of some of the choices that they made. And they suffered the consequences. So there's three examples that Jude gives us of people that have removed themselves from God's outpouring. I think he also shows us in the examples of the early part of Jude three things that can take people away from God's love or three, three attitudes of our heart. And he gives us these examples of people in the Old Testament. He says the first thing that takes, or the first attitude or the first kind of heart position that takes us away from God is anger. And he gives us the example of Cain. He says, look, here's Cain, here's Abel. They both bring sacrifices. God likes Abel's sacrifice. He, he says to Cain, you know, I don't really care for that, what you've got there, but I'll work with you. Let's make it right. 
But Cain can't get over it. He's angry. He's ticked off at his brother. And he wants to take it out on him. So he goes and he kills his brother. So the first attitude that takes us out of that blessing is anger. The first or the second blessing or the attitude that takes us out of God's outpouring of grace is greed. And that's exemplified by the Balaam, this guy, this, this prophet that is supposed to be blessing Israel. He's hired to curse Israel, but he can't do it. And so he tells the people how to curse Israel a different way by parading, taking the, the foreign women and the foreign gods and coming in and having, having the uh, Israelite men and boys get hooked up with these foreign women so that they would start worshiping foreign gods. So he's a, kind of a prophet for hire. His greed takes him away from God's blessing. The third example is the example of Korah. And he is guilty of envy. His desire to be great, his desire, what, what he was dealing with was, was Moses. And he comes to Moses and basically says to him, who are you to lead these people? I can lead them just as well. And so if you read the story of Korah, what happens to him is the earth opens up and swallows Korah. All three of these guys meet with a not-so-nice end. So there's angry, there's anger, there's greed, and there's envy. Those three things that keep us away from God, keep us from receiving that outpouring, move us away from the waterfall of God's grace into some other areas. And you know, the great thing about the Scripture is that it could have said something like, here are the three things that are going to separate you from God's grace. Murder, robbery, and adultery. I would have been, whew, okay, good. I I haven't killed anybody today. I haven't robbed any uh, liquor stores today, uh, except maybe Facebook with my Mob Wars page, but that, you know, that's not real. Um, And I haven't... uh, I haven't cheated on my wife today, or ever, so <laughs> I'm going to get it when I get home. The, uh, so I'm good, and I, uh, that means I'm in God's blessing, right? No, see, he talks about three things that I think probably, if we're real honest with ourselves, these are things that we deal with almost on a daily basis, anger, greed, envy. Man, I am envious of my neighbor's 46-inch flat panel HD Sony Bravia moment. Okay. Um, I love that thing. It's awesome. It's great. But see, if I, if I covet that, I'm coveting my neighbor, and, you know, that, that separates me from God's blessing. It separates me from the attitude of, I've got a TV. I don't need the 48-inch or 46-inch flat panel HD. I don't need that. But see, if I covet it, if I want it, if I lust after it, that, that takes me out of God's blessing. God has blessed us abundantly. Man, the fact that, you know, as we we're getting in, thinking about next week, as we we're getting into this Advent conspiracy, the idea that we have clean water, we can go 
turn on a faucet and we've got water. Man, we are blessed. We don't have to worry about getting some kind of intestinal bug simply because we want to drink. So three attitudes that keep us out of God's blessing. Anger, greed, and envy. So how do we keep ourselves in God's love? How do we remain in that shower of blessings? Well, I think he says that there are three things, of course. Remember, one, two, three. You've got to get those combinations in there. One, two, three. The first thing that he says in verse 20, he says you need to build up your faith. First and foremost, build up your faith. Romans 10, verse 17 says this. It says, faith comes by what? Hearing. And hearing by the word of God. If you want to build up your faith, here it is. You got to get into it. You got to know God's word. It's not something that happens by osmosis. It's really not something that you can build your faith in by coming here every once a week and hearing God's word told to you. It's a daily getting into God's word. You know, imagine if you are in a, a, a marriage, imagine this. If you're in a relationship, imagine this. Um, imagine trying to be in a relationship where you never talk to the other person. Imagine trying to be in a relationship where you see that person once a week for an hour. And it's somebody else telling you about that person. Trying to make that relationship work. It's not going to work. If you want to grow in your faith. You have to get into God's word. You have to know it. As a, and Jude, as he's telling us this, he's even saying all of these examples, you have, to, you have to know your stuff in order to know even what I'm talking about here. So know your stuff. Build up your faith. Be a student of the word. The second thing is also found in verse 20. He says, praying in the Holy Spirit. Friends, you never pray alone. Even when you go into your closet and close the door. God is with you. His Holy Spirit is there with you. Scripture even talks about even if you don't have the words to say, the Spirit will groan. Do you ever, do you ever get into prayer? Do you ever get into prayer and you're just, you don't even have the words. You know, there's something going on in your life. You're just like, God, God I don't even know how to pray. Just, just, oh. That's the spirit groaning. God knows. He hear, that's your spirit talking and telling God, you know, I really don't even have words to express what I'm going through. I don't have words to tell you what I need right now or what my friend needs right now or the, the, just the depth of what's going on. But, oh, you know, Father. To pray in the spirit also means... Praying in tongues. Now hold up. I know we don't talk about tongues all that much here at Artisan. We wouldn't, we wouldn't necessarily consider this to be a very charismatic church, if I dare say. But uh, I think that God's word is pretty clear. Paul tells us, I invite you to write this down and check this out this week. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14 talks about this gift of tongues. There are three different kinds of tongues in my reading of the scripture. There's this ability to start speaking a foreign language 
that you don't know. That's one kind of tongue. So I walk into a room and there, there are a bunch of, uh, of people that are speaking Spanish. And all of a sudden, I start speaking Spanish to them, telling them God's word. That's one kind of tongue. It's a, it's a miracle of God. I don't speak Spanish, except for what I've learned by Dora. And that, that ain't that much. I can say hola, and, and, and uh, that's about it. So, oh, I'm sorry. And then Sesame Street, abierto and cerrado. That was pretty much locked into my head at a very early age. So that's one kind of tongue. Second kind of tongue is a prophetic tongue. Prophetic tongue is very clear in 1 Corinthians 14 how that happens. Paul says two, maybe three at the most, can speak in a prophetic tongue and only if there is an interpretation. There is order. It's not just a bunch of people getting up and barking like dogs and just everybody talking all at once. That's not what God is saying in his word. So two or three at the most, and only if there is an interpretation. Why? Because the gift of a prophetic tongue is supposed to build up the body. And if there's no interpretation, there's no building up of the body. The third tongue is a prayer tongue. And that is between you and God. It's a language that maybe it's like the groaning that you have. It's a language that, as Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 14, he talks about how it's not even profitable for the mind. He doesn't even understand what he's saying, so it doesn't profit his mind at all. But it feeds his spirit, and it is profitable for his spirit, his pneuma. So pray in the Holy Spirit. I encourage you, if you pray in tongues, to continue praying in tongues. If you don't pray in tongues, pray for the gift of praying in tongues. But Paul says in that, those two chapters in 1 Corinthians that more than praying in tongues, pray for the gift of prophecy that you might build up the body. But for our purposes here today, first thing we want to do is build up our faith by getting in the Word. The second thing is pray in the Spirit. And the third thing is looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Verse 21. Now, not everybody here at Artisan shares the, the same theology or, or, or end times theology that I do. Um, I, I, I pre-trib, uh, pre-millennial, I, I believe in a, a pre-tribulation rapture. I believe that there's going to be a true 1,000-year reign of Christ. That's what I believe. There are different theologies out there as far as that goes. Um, as far as whether that's allegorical or whether it's really going to happen or is it just a kind of a story to tell you what it's going to be like. Um, but I like to believe it's, it's, a, it's a true 1,000-year reign, that there's going to be this true, um, <laughs> we're gone and there's going to be clothes and people aren't going to know what, what's going on. And, and uh, maybe it's going to be like the, the books, but probably not um, with this whole rapture thing. But regardless of whether you believe in, in a pre-trib rapture or a mid-trib rapture or post-trib rapture or no rapture at all, or what you believe, Paul is saying here, if you want to be a contender for your faith, if you want to remain in God's blessing, if you want to build up your faith, one of the things that you need to do on a daily basis is remember Jesus' return. Look forward to that time. You know, it could be in our lifetime, it could be I could die before Jesus' return. But if I die, I'm going to be with Jesus. 
And so I'm looking forward to being with Christ on a daily basis. If we want to grow up in our faith, if we want to be strong in our faith, if we want to keep ourselves in God's love, look for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. I, I invite you to write down 1 Thessalonians 4 and verses 15 and through 17, but this is my favorite thing about the, the, the whole looking forward to Jesus Christ is, is that verse in 1 Thessalonians where it talks about just this trump of God and then Christ coming in the clouds. And so, you know, we have some wonderful clouds here in Rochester, New York. I, I think that uh, we have them quite a bit, actually. And so one of the silver linings of having clouds is to be able to look up into the cloud and say, maybe today, maybe today, Jesus will be riding one of those down. Kind of like a surfboard. Is this going down? <laughs> no. Maybe today, look forward to the coming of Christ. Or look forward to the eternal life with Christ on a daily basis. Remember that Jesus has died for you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to be in eternity, eternal paradise with you and with me. And that way we can keep ourselves in God's love. And as we're wrapping up here, there's, there's these others that he talks about. And I, I have to chuckle at these, the vast, very last parts of uh, verses 22 and 23. On others, have mercy on some of them. Some people you know in your life when you're talking about the things of God, when you're talking about keeping them or inviting them to be in God's love, you just need to have mercy and patience. And again, this is what I really appreciate the way that uh, the NIV translates the uh, verse 23. But others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Scare the hell out of them is the way I think that that should be translated. Some people just need to know, look, you are an eternal being. One way or another, you are eternal. And you are either going to be reserved for eternal paradise or eternal damnation. We don't like using those words very much. But that's what God's word tells us. Hell was not created for humanity, God tells us in his word. Hell was created for the angels that fell. But because some people have chosen to reject God, they're cho choosing an eternity separated from God. And it can only be described as hellfire and brimstone and eternal darkness. So snatch them out of the fire with fear. And last part of verse 23, I think is very important. It says, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. As we are talking to people about our faith, as we are walking with others, as we are trying to let our lives speak to others about this faith walk with Christ, Jesus, I think, exemplifies that we are not to be sitting talking to other people around chairs in, in a building that we call a church. We're to be out in the world. We're to be sharing Jesus' love and the good news with the sinners, with the tax collectors, with the prostitutes. And whatever that means for us in our context, in our culture, 
people that are separated from God, but hate even the garment defiled by the flesh. In other words, what he's saying is, don't let the, the thing that is trapping them defile you. So if it's drinking that's got one of your friends bound, and they are alcoholic, and that is keeping them separated from God, and their life is in the toilet because of it, yeah, minister to them, but don't go out to the bar and start drinking so much that you become an alcoholic. If it's drugs, don't let the drugs become your own addiction. If it's pornography, don't let the porn become your own addiction. If it's a seething anger and cynicism that is oh so prevalent in Rochester, New York, don't let cynicism become your stain or defilement. So keep ourselves in God's love and help show others the love of God is what Jude is telling us. And by way of response, I think this is one of the most beautiful benedictions in Scripture, verses 24 and 25. And I think that that leads us, this, these two verses will lead us to table. This table of Eucharist, this table of thanksgiving. Because Jude says in verse 24, Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to make you stand without blemish in the presence of his glory with rejoicing. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, and now, and forever. Amen. He says, to him who is able to keep you from falling, Jesus and God are able to keep you from falling through the power of the Holy Spirit. Does that mean that they won't let you fall, or they, they will let you fall on occasion? I believe it does. Because I think when we stumble and when we fall, those are times when we realize and we need that we need the grace of God. We need His presence in our lives. These last verses say that Jesus is able to present us without blemish. Ephesians 5, if you write it down and check it out, after you get past all the uh, women shall be submissive to their husbands, um, it gets into the whole core of what's being talked about there. That Jesus Christ was submissive unto death so that he could present himself a bride that was without blemish. So he can present you and me just white as snow. The scarlet stain of sin completely washed away. And he presents us with rejoicing. And that is all about what this, this table means to us. This table is rejoicing. This table is thanksgiving. See, Jesus took a very common element of, of bread and wine things that would be shared at almost any meal together. And he says, breaking the bread and blessing it, giving it to his friends and his disciples, he says to them, take this, all of you, and eat it. And when you eat it, remember me, remember me and give thanks, give praise to God. Because of my sacrifice, there will be this way opened up 
that anyone who wants to can enter in. It is the free gift of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 talks about how God's grace is a free gift that we can't earn it so that no one can boast about it. Then after supper, Jesus took the cup, this wine, fruit of the vine, and he blessed it and he gave it to his friends and his disciples, the people, the women and children that were sitting around the table, and he said, take this, all of you, and drink from it. And when you do, remember my sacrifice and give thanks. And so we invite you to table. We invite you to come and take a piece of the bread and dip it in either the wine or the juice and give thanks. Celebrate with joy what God has done in your life and what God, the, the way that he has prepared for you. So our table is going to be open for the remainder of our worship gathering t- uh, this morning. Whether the music's playing or whatever, the table will be open and we invite you to come and celebrate, give thanks for Jesus and his sacrifice and that he is able to present you without blemish to the Father God. Let's pray. Our Lord, we thank you so much for the gift of your word that you have given to us through your servant Jude. Jesus, we realize that Jude, being your half-brother, at one point did not believe what you were saying. At one time in his life, while, while you were standing next to him, he was one of the scoffers. But then after your death and your resurrection, Jude came to believe, as did his brother James, and many others. And so, Father, there may be some here today that are scoffing. And we just want to pray and ask that they would find your truth. Lord, we believe that Jesus' love was given to all. Not that we would have to follow a bunch of rules or anything like that, but so that we could contend for this faith, so that we could grow in your love. Father, we pray through the celebration at your table, through giving thanks to you, through the rest of our time where we worship you in song, worship you in giving, worship you in fellowship together, that you would help us contend for that faith that you would keep us in your love, that we would just receive the outpouring of your blessing. Help us to stay under that waterfall of your grace. If there are things in our lives, Lord, where we've realized that we've stepped out from underneath that blessing, we confess them to you now. We ask you to take them, remove them from our lives, forgive us of the places that we've fallen short, through the power and the blessing of your Son, Jesus Christ. Wash us and make us clean in his blood through his sacrifice. Father, we pray these things not by anything that we have or anything that we can bring to you, but by the power and blood of your Son, Jesus. In his name, 
Amen.